Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Life Lessons from Sports and Beyond. I'm Simon Mundy and this week I'm delighted to be joined by the fantastic Professor BJ Fogg, a world-renowned expert on behaviour change and habits. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Tiny Habits, The Small Habits That Change Everything, and is a hugely popular behaviour scientist at Stanford University. Here is a taste of what's coming up. One of the common myths about habits is that repetition creates the habit. It's our emotion as we do that behavior. And you need to help yourself feel successful. BJ's words of wisdom could be life-changing. And on top of that, he's a really kind and warm man too. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we get to it, I just have to give a shout out to my sponsors, whose support enables me to put out weekly episodes of this podcast. I'm a big fan of CBD. It's been part of my daily routine for a few years now, and Pure Sports CBD are my go-to brand. Whether you're anxious, stressed, struggling to focus or sleep, there is something for everyone in their brilliant range of oils, capsules, balms, and nootropics. Now, personally, I swear by their unwind CBD oil and deep sleep nootropics every day to help me unwind. Now, CBD comes from the hemp plants, but it won't get you high. Plus, Pure Sport CBD products are triple lab tested and trusted by loads of the world's top athletes for a reason. So I really can't recommend Pure Sport CBD enough. Check out their amazing products at puresportcbd.com and you can get 20% off by using the code LIFE20. That's LIFE and the number 20, no spaces, at checkout. Now, let's get to this week's conversation with the fantastic Professor BJ Fogg. BJ Fogg, I am so excited to talk to you. How are you? 
I am doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm like I said, I'm excited. And I know it's morning where you are. It's late afternoon here. Yeah. As I said to you, as soon as the camera popped on, you're renowned for your broad <laughs> smile and your chipper personality. Really? And it and it was gleaning through the screen right from the moment. Oh, uh, my dentist would be so my dentist and hygienist <laughs> would be so happy to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's it's a pleasure to receive such a positive energy straight off the bat. And there are so many reasons I'm excited to talk to you. You're, in my opinion, the world's foremost expert on behavioral change. You have a brilliant book, a life-changing book called Tiny Habits. Your online program is free. That's a no-brainer. I'd be very surprised yeah. if by the end of this, people aren't just queuing up to hop on it. But in terms of where to start, I've got to be honest with you, BJ. I, I was toying with two things, okay? Do I start okay. with your quirky toilet habits or the fact that you're something of a clairvoyant? And I've decided to plump for the latter um, just because I oh, think the quirky... Okay. <laughs> because All right, and, and let's go. You do have a, a rather spectacular knack for being able to predict the future. And I'm going to give two examples. So yes. you predicted the rise of smartphones, the rise of apps leading to Instagram. And then ironically, to some degree, you predicted the smartphone backlash that I think we are now starting to see as well. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, maybe lucky guesses. Maybe it's a <laughs> systematic way. I don't think it's a supernatural power, though my sister thinks so. But yeah, you know, being able to foresee that technology would be designed to change our attitudes and behaviors and then being able to, I, I think of it as just doing the math, just think that through. And it's like, oh, that's great. Oh, but guess what? That's actually terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to warn people about that as early as 1998, we're talking over 20 years ago and nobody cared. Nobody was listening. And fast forward a few years and then people started blaming me for it. That's like <laughs> blaming the climate change scientists for the climate change, right? So it's a mixed bag, but I just try to do what I think matters. And even, you know, I try to try to tell the truth as I see it. So in terms of smartphones and apps, just quickly, a couple of guys in one of your classes at Stanford, you got them to do an exercise that essentially led to the creation of Instagram. So am I not right then in thinking at yeah. that point, your view of what apps and things could bring us was actually overwhelmingly positive? Or did you have the anxieties even at that point? <laughs> well, I'm a massive optimist. And I, what <laughs> I tried to do early on um, at Stanford is to help my students and my lab uh, envision the positive future for this as a way to catalyze or accelerate using technology for good. So I felt like, hey, this is going to come to pass, whether I study it or not, whether I, you know, whichever side of this I'm on. And I, I, I've long, the whole reason I went to Stanford was to understand how technology could make us happier and healthier. So that would be 1993. And I feel like one way, and this isn't unique to me, somebody else, um, well, on the, on the door of my lab for 20 years at Stanford, there was a poster with a quote by Noam Chomsky that said, optimism is a strategy for making the world a better place. So every time I entered my lab, anybody who entered my lab understood 
that we're going to be optimistic about this and we're trying to make the world a better place. But the, uh, you know, the dark belly of that was always there. And so we did work around the ethics and uh, the book chapters, conferences, and so on. And what I was trying to do in that class, that particular class, and this was pre-iPhone, so there was no notion of apps, but it was to help the, in, the students envision the assignment basically was this. One of these days, these things that we call cell phones in the U.S. back in the day, mobile phones today, will be able to share photos through these devices. We can't do it right now, but one of these days we will come up with a positive use for this new technology and bam, you've got two weeks to deliver this project. And Mike Krieger, one of the co-founders of Instagram, was on a team of three. All the students were in teams of three. And he and his teammates developed this vision and they called it Send the Sunshine, where you would take a picture of a sunrise or a sunset or something positive and you would send it to somebody in your life that needed uplift. Bam. Fast forward um, a few years later, they started Instagram and um, I guess, I guess it's not coincidentally, but it's kind of humorous to me that that's what a lot of people did in the early days of Instagram. It was sunrises and sunsets. Yeah, that was what it was all about. But then you posted a tweet, didn't you, just before the pandemic talking about at some point soon, there's going to be a backlash and it will be frowned upon to use phones perhaps in the way that that people have been in the, over the last sort of couple of years. And this is something that Cal Newport really spoke to me about is the negative side of it. So are you yeah. worried about that? And this will lead into habits, but are you worried about oh that? And do God. you now see that backlash coming? I published on this in 1998. So I was worried about it in 1998. <laughs> if you look at um, in a professional conference, I said, this is problematic. We've got to start looking at this. I fast forward a few years at the U.S. government. I gave a, a formal testimony in 2006 about what I foresaw as the problems coming with technology. You can find that online. So it wasn't, and I don't think the backlash happened just recently. I think it started quite a while ago. And it depends how you frame it. Even in the 80s with video games and kids and so on, there are parents who are very, very concerned. So it's not really a new thing, but what I was able to foresee was that these devices, in fact, it was in 2009 at a conference, I said, these devices will be more important in influencing us than TV, radio, and the web combined. It will all be about mobile. And people thought I was crazy at that time. And I said, in 10 to 15 years, this is what's gonna happen. <sighs> Another, Another thing that I was worried about, this probably was like 2003, uh, I felt email was harming our lives. And I was speaking to an audience of Silicon Valley people at Stanford. It was an industry conference at Stanford. And I got up and I said, hey, you guys, there is a legitimate perspective here that email is killing us. And that was what my talk was about, is email is weakening our closest relationships our health depends on the quality of those relationships. But by doing email with hundreds of people that we don't even really know, that will not um, emotionally support us, we're weakening our health and hastening our deaths. The audience hated it, <laughs> hated it. And, you know, cause these are very tech forward entrepreneurs, very pro-technology yeah. people. But again, 
I call it like I see it. And I think that is right still. These technology yeah. channels that weaken our close relationships are harming us and shortening our lives. Well, I think it's clear that the habit, shall we say, maybe even addiction to smartphones, to social media use, to scrolling is a big problem. So I would like to, at some point, unpick how we can, and I think you use the word untangle a habit like yeah. that. So l yeah. let's lead in that direction. But but we are talking about habits. Another guy who's really exploded on the habit scene, James Clear, very much influenced by you as well. But I want to go back way back to Aristotle. So what did he say? Yeah. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So yeah. the implication very much being from way back when one of the great thinkers, habits are vitally important. I am delighted to be in a podcast with Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, really, really influenced my work. Not so much that statement, but his systematizing, his ability to create taxonomies and systems. And when I look at my work for the last 20 years, that's what I've been doing with behavior and behavior change, that um, there is a system behind behavior and there's a model that describes all, be all behavior. And we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. And there's yeah. a system to create habits. It's very reliable and fast and so on. And so I really do think that, you know, I, I, I did a, a master's degree with a lot of emphasis in rhetoric, which would include Aristotle. And I really think that my admiration for his work um, inspired me to really look for systems and take abstract things like behavior change and habits and systematize them so we can understand them better and achieve the habits that we want and to some extent untangle the habits that we don't want. So the dictionary definition that I've looked up, the Oxford English dictionary definition of a habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. Is that a definition you're comfortable with? Not really. One of the problems with studying human behavior and social science in general is we will have a word that we use in a lot of ways. And so it's hard to use. I mean, Stephen Covey wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I do not consider those habits. Those are general guidelines or principles. The way I look at habits, it's a specific behavior that you do quite automatically. So the way Covey's talking about habits is different than the way I talk about habits. And this can be extended to a lot of words like trust, like um, motivation to some extent. Reward is an ambiguous word and a problematic one. Addiction, people have different definitions of. So me being a behavior scientist and somebody who values precision, I'm very careful about the words I use. But when somebody does say reward or trust or habit or addiction, try to understand what they mean by that, because it doesn't always mean the same thing. Now, one thing about habit and something that seems to happen in many areas of life is an assumption is formed and then is adopted widely. Now, when it comes to habits, that assumption is that habits are born of repetition. Now, as I said to you before we started, I wish I had read your stuff about a year and a half ago. Because you know the whole don't break the chain idea, the, the idea that if you keep a chain going, you yeah, know, that's going to motivate yeah. you to keep going, right? 
So I've been during lockdown, I was writing my first mm. book and just on this wall away to me to the left, I had a wall chart and I went along with that and I was crossing off the days when I managed to keep the repetition, the chain going. And after about seven months of this, I had to rip it down because it was torturing me because obviously there would be days I would miss and it was, oh. it, it just, it didn't work <laughs> at all. Right. And then I've become familiar with your work and I'm like, I wish I'd known this. 18 months ago, because it's not yeah. about repetition, is it? No, no, that's one of the, one of the common uh, myths about habits is that repetition creates the habit. That's not true. Um, and if people want to just look this up for themselves, type in L-A-L-L-Y space 2009. You will find the study that people refer to. That study does not show, and you'll see this even reading the abstract, it does not show a causal effect between a repetition and habit formation. It's a correlation. It's not causal. But people have misinterpreted that study, and that meme has been perpetuated uh, to millions and millions of people, unfortunately. And it sets them up to pursue habits in the wrong way. And I love your example. You had a whole wall that was making you feel bad on a daily basis. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that people perpetuate that myth and set people up to either fail or to feel bad. And the good news though, is that habit formation can, there's a process for it where you feel good and uplifted and you don't feel guilty and you don't feel shame. If you're feeling those things, you're doing it the wrong way or a less than optimal way. And repetition is not the key. That's not what wires in habits. It's our emotion as we do that behavior. And the emotion is what reinforces, and by reinforces, I, I mean, it makes the behavior more likely to occur in the future. So it's emotions that create habits, not repetition. So if I just give another quick example from my own life, I was played a lot of sports at school and then through university. And then I, <laughs> and then I started work. Tennis is my favorite sport. I played rugby, which is not particularly big uh, in the States. I acknowledge that. Love swimming, uh, you know, you, mainly mainly yeah. ball sports, but you, uh, golf, okay. big into golf. Anyway, look, we could go on for that for ages, but I played a lot of sport. And then I started the world of work when I was sitting down a lot more than I would like to. And mm -hmm. I was, you know, eating a few more Mars bars than I should have done. And I was really trying to get a gym habit, okay? And, and it was stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And then... Someone suggested to me about keeping motivation in mind and setting a, a, a time period. So I said, okay, yeah. for one month, I'm going to go to the gym, all right? And this could feed into that idea of repetition because it's like, okay, I do that month. And then by that point, it's 30 days and it's a habit, right? But in hindsight, I realized that was nothing to do with it. What it was, was at the end of that 30 days, I felt fitter than I had done in a long time. I had the first start of an emergence of a, what could be loosely described as, as a bicep. And so there was a sense <laughs> of emotion and, it, uh, and yeah. achievement. And that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. And, and yes, exactly. So you said achievement. And I, I talk about the same idea, but I call it the, it's success. It's the feeling of success. That's one of the emotions that wires in habits. It's the emotion that I have people focus on. It's a big part of the tiny habits method. And you need to help yourself feel successful. 
Um, and the stronger the emotion, the positive emotion, when you do that new behavior, the faster the habit forms. In the Tiny Habits five-day program, the free program that I've offered for 10 years, James Clare took my program in 2013 and got interested in habits at that point. The vast majority of people report that one of their habits became automatic or very automatic within the five-day program. Yeah. And that's in part because we have them focus on habits they want, but especially because we have them use the power of their emotions to wire those habits in. So the better you are at feeling successful when you do a new habit, the faster that habit will wire in. And we're going to talk about ways of getting that emotion on demand, essentially. So you're not waiting for that emergence of a bicep like I had to do. There are better ways of doing it in shorter time frames. But um, before we get to that, probably the fundamental thing, and it's the implication is in the title of your book, is to go really small. Yes. Now, yes, but let me clarify that a little bit. Some people interpret that, um, and we'll go, we'll go to the, as you would say, the toilet habits. In the US, we would call it bathroom habits or hygiene <laughs> habits. One, right. one of the ones I stumbled across really early on um, was... The tiny habit recipe goes like this. After I pee, I will do two push-ups. And I, and I do that only when I'm at home. You know, I don't do it while I'm at Stanford. Uh, I've done it a few times there, but I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. And I put the paper towels on the floor and it's like, no, this is crazy. I don't do it in hotel rooms anymore. Um, but, you know, just two push-ups. Now, you, I can always do more if I want to. But what people have misinterpreted in my work is like, oh, you start with two push-ups, then you do three, then you do four, then you do five, and you raise the bar. And that's not the tiny habits method at all. Um, the tiny habits method is you set the bar low. And if you want to do more, even the first day you can, and you don't ever raise the bar on yourself. So now years later, there'll be times like yesterday, I was pretty tired. I did three push-ups and a little stretch and I was done, you know, which... After years and years of push-ups, that's not very impressive, but that's what I could do in that moment. And so with Tiny Habits, you have that kind of flexibility. You do as big of the behavior as you want, as you can in that moment. And the times when you only can do three, that's fine. You say, good for me, I did it, and you go on with your day. So yeah. there's a flexibility in Tiny Habits, but the method is to set the bar low and keep it low. You don't raise the bar on yourself. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I mean, you've repeated it, but I just think that's so worth repeating again. So the bar, the bar never moves up. You may move up uh, on any yeah. given day when your motivation is high. And I, we'll, we'll talk about that next, but the bar never changes. So with you and your um, bathroom habits in terms of your two push-ups when you're at home. So how long has this been a habit and how long have you had it at two push-ups? Probably, probably eight or 10 years, wow. you know, eight or 10 years. And it's a great habit to have. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great habit because it opens the door to other habits. And yes, you do get stronger and you can do more push-ups and all that. But the way it works, Simon, is whenever you do more than the baseline, whenever you do more than the minimum, you look at it as extra credit. Okay, you, so that's one reason you don't raise the bar because if I'm raising the bar to 12 or 15 or 20, then if I do 20, I'm like, okay, I achieved the minimum. No. 
When I do 20, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got 18 extra. Good for me. So notice that helps me feel successful. It helps yeah, yeah. me feel shine. It helps me keep that habit alive when I view those extras as extra credit and not a requirement. And motivation is a key thing. And gyms are the classic example, right? So gyms, well, pre-COVID, survived on the basis that they know they're going to get you know, 25% of the people through their doors between January 1st and January 20th. And that will keep them going for the rest of the year. But half of them, if not more, will end up dropping off because we all mm -hmm. have that motivation on January 1st, right? And then we project that motivation out into the future like we're always yeah. going to feel like that, but it doesn't work like that at all. No, you're right. As we project into the future, we humans are pretty bad at that. You know, the emotion we feel, the motivation we feel in the moment, we often think, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to continue to be motivated. But as we know from looking realistically at our lives, our motivation shifts around. So the motivation yeah. for the gym will fluctuate because maybe the motivation to get your kid ready for school is higher that day. Or the motivation like here in California to prepare for wildfires is higher than going to the gym today. So our motivation will shift around. And that's not a flaw in human nature. That's a good thing, because imagine if we were motivated to do all things at all times, um, that would lead to a pretty terrible life. So the fact that our motivation shifts around, and it may not always be on going to the gym, is just human nature. And in my work, I've acknowledged that, and I've named it. I call it the motivation wave. Weirdly enough, in the academic work on motivation, there is not a long tradition that looks at how motivation fluctuates over time or how motivation shifts. It's, there's this, this huge gap. And the earliest studies I can find that even started to address it were about 2007, and it was in language learning classrooms. Okay, So there's not decades of academic research on the, fluct the, the dynamic nature of motivation. And that means it hadn't really been given a name. So now we have one. It's called the motivation wave. And it will go up and down over time. Um, there's things we're more motivated to do in the morning than the evening. There's things we're more motivated to do on Sundays than on work days. There's things we're more motivated to do on Mondays rather than Fridays. There are things we're motivated to do on Fridays that we wouldn't be, etc. It's just how we are. And what Tiny Habits does is you set the bar so low then you make it so easy that you don't have to have much motivation. Your motivation can be quite low. You can still do two push-ups or take a sip of water. And so you can be really consistent with the habit no matter what. Yeah. And just to slightly veer off habits, it, just something that popped in my head. It's that famous saying of this too shall pass. And <laughs> this can be applied in so many areas, right? It's like when we feel down in the dumps, we project that out into the future. We think we're going to feel like that forever. We reflect back on our lives. They've always been terrible when we're, and, and vice versa. So I just think that, that it's worth acknowledging this trait of human psychology to, to think that the way we are feeling in any given state right now is going to last forever and is reflective of history. Anyway, but you mentioned there about having that baseline. And I know that you use a beautiful analogy of like, get, and I'm looking out of the window at my garden now, BJ, but I want to use the analogy of the garden and you yeah. know, planting seeds. 
So could you just pick that up in terms of thinking about habit formation, like planting seeds? We don't expect a tree to be there immediately. We just drop little right. things in and nurture them. Yeah. You know, one of the statements I made about tiny habits years ago at the very beginning was um, plant a tiny seed in a good spot and it will grow without coaxing. Okay, so the tiny seed is like this tiny version of the habit you want two push ups or read a paragraph in a book. Then you plant it in a good spot, just like you do in a regular gardening. Like, where is this going to thrive? Does it need full sun, partial sun? Does it need shade? Does it need different kinds of soil? And, and with the habit, it's like, where does reading a paragraph fit in my routine? Or where does doing two push-ups fit in my new? So you're finding the location where it fits. And sometimes you won't get it right, just like in a garden. Sometimes you will plant, like there are some flowers I put in these big pots. And I thought, oh, they'll be fine because these are huge pots and I'll keep it watered. Well, there's just way too much sun. And they did terrible until I moved them into partial shade. That's how we should look at designing habits. If you think, oh, I'm going to read a paragraph in the book after I sit the kids down for breakfast, you may find that's a terrible spot for that. And that's not a character flaw that you put it there. It's like, oh, it's a signal that you just need to find a new spot. So where does this habit, where will this habit thrive? So plant a tiny seed in a good spot and it will grow without coaxing. And the coaxing, what I meant by that is you don't have to like, amp yourself up and motivate yourself like, oh, I've got to read the paragraph and I'm just going to, you know, somehow summons a willpower discipline to do it. So the process of habit formation can be, um, it's a design process and it can be a process of discovery. And it's kind of figuring out what habits do you want and where do they fit naturally in your life? And then you wire them in by feeling good. That's essentially yeah. the tiny habits philosophy or mindset there's specific techniques for doing each of those well but that's what you're doing you're not you're not shaming yourself you're not forcing a fit you are designing something into your life that will work naturally just like in your garden my garden everything that's growing well is in the right season in the right spot being nurtured and bam there it goes it's a beautiful analogy. And this brings us to then the three keys, as it were. So you talk about motivation, ability, and that prompt. Yeah, those three components, uh, I call the behavior model. Those are the three things that describe any type of behavior. So I mean, I'm going to take a step back. And I wish this were in my book. And I tried to get my publisher to put in the paperback version, but they wouldn't because the graphic is so sophisticated. Imagine a big circle that says behaviors. Okay, so there's this set of behaviors. Imagine a smaller circle, like I told you, this is going to be complicated. A smaller circle inside this is habits. That's it. So habits are a subset of behavior. Habits are a type of behavior. It's one you do automatically. So the behavior model, which is behavior happens when motivation, ability, and prompt come together at the same moment, that describes all of behaviors, including habits. Um, including one-time actions, including temporary behaviors, including behaviors you want to stop. It always comes down to motivation, ability, prompt. Now, translating that to the tiny habits method, motivation, pick habits you already want to do, first and foremost, all right? So it's not like you find some external thing to motivate you. Um, find 
habits and that that you want that you you naturally are motivated to do now your motivation will still fluctuate but the mistake is to think oh my gosh i heard bj Vogt talk about tiny habits and now i can create this habit on this thing that i hate doing no no it, it doesn't pick habits that you want as you get more skilled in habit formation you can start working more and more on the shoulds like oh, i really should be doing this but start with habits you want so that's motivation ability We've talked about this. You take the habit and you make it so simple that it takes very little time, very little effort, very little thinking. So that's the ability component. The prompt component, we've talked about this a, li a little bit, is you find where it fits naturally in your routine. So you use an existing routine like peeing or brushing your teeth to be the prompt for the new habit, whether that's push-ups or reading a book. And so that's how Tiny Habits maps to the behavior model. And it was looking at my own graphical version of the behavior model. It was, Simon, it was me literally looking at my own graphic that described my behavior model, which people can find at behaviormodel.org, where I looked at the bottom right-hand corner and I was like, oh my gosh, in this region, you'll do the behavior, even if motivation is low, if the behavior is easy enough. That was the insight. It's like, if I make it so easy, then I don't have to have lots of motivation and it will still happen as long as there's a prompt. So there is a direct connection between that model, you know, motivation ability prompt that characterizes all behaviors and then the, the method, the tiny habits. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Another key part, then, of your model, and this is something I think that distinguishes you from many other people, and I think it really 
ties in very well with your personality, which is jovial, which is upbeat, which is optimistic. And it's about celebration, isn't it? And this is something when I was writing my book, when I wasn't being tortured by the wall planner on my wall, one thing that did work was chunking it down into really manageable daily word counts. But then what I would do is at the end of writing those 500 words, I would actively say to myself, well done. Now you take that a step further. For you, I know there's the famous BJ double fist palm. I mean, you do all these kind of things. So can you just talk a little bit about how you do it and how other people could do it who perhaps aren't as effusive? Well, the the insight that came to, it came to me by accident. And I thought it would be very controversial, but it's been one of the most widely embraced aspects of my book is that you can create a positive emotion on demand and you can help wire in that habit quickly. And the emotion you're shooting for is the feeling of success. Um, And there's other emotions that will wire in habits such as the feeling of relief or pleasure or humor, but it's harder to cause humor on demand or relief on demand. But the feeling of success is something that's available, I think, to everybody in different ways. And there's over a hundred techniques for feeling successful in the moment. And you got to find what works for you. Um, If you watch athletes, let me ask you, Simon, when you hit a really great serve, an ace serve, what did you do at that moment? I was probably typically English or British in that it was very understated, but I would be like, come on, well done. You didn't even know the Tiny Habits Method. You did that naturally. Absolutely. I think it is a natural human thing because what that is signaling to your brain is, let's do that one again. Whatever I just did, let's make that the habit. Okay, so we do celebrate naturally. When babies start to walk, what are parents doing? They're celebrating the baby, helping the baby feel successful. So rec- when, um, when, when your dog, is- <laughs> some people get upset at this example, but you know, when you're getting your dog to create the habit of sitting down or whatever, you reinforce it with something, a snack or something or petting that signals you succeeded. So once you start seeing behavior change and habit formation from that perspective, that it's emotions that create habits, not repetition, then you'll, 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 you'll just see it in so many places. Now, some people can cause that positive emotion just by thinking about it. Some people need to do a physical movement and you know, fist pumps, uh, little dances, jigs. Some people smile in the mirror. On the other end of the end, yes, you Brits, you can celebrate. You have more subtle ways of doing it. But yes, there are ways. Um, but if somebody finds it really hard, to summons up that emotion, one thing that I recommend is it's a purpose-focused celebration. So for example, uh, let's say I take this vitamin, it's fish oil, okay? So I don't love taking a fish oil and vitamin because it's kind of like burps back up and stuff like that. So it's not in and of itself a wonderful thing to do, like eating chocolate might be. But let's say I take this fish oil vitamin and I want to wire it in a habit. As I'm taking it, I can think of how this is helping me achieve a higher purpose in my life. And one of my higher purposes is to tell people the truth about how habits work and to give them ways of doing it. In other words, give them hope. So as I take this, if I'm thinking, good for you, BJ, this is going to allow you to bring more hope and happiness into the world. 
So if I focus on a really, really important life's mission and I connect this behavior of taking the fish oil with that, then I, in that moment, I'm feeling successful and helping mm. me achieve that life's purpose. Yeah. Yes. So connecting habits to purpose that, that I can see how that would be very powerful. Yeah. And I've read an interview in which you said that you sometimes imagined a teacher from way back yeah. when who, when they said, well done to you, it got you going. And it made me think about this. I, I reflected on this. And so my question to you is reflecting back on that teacher. Was this a teacher that you wanted the approval of? Yeah, she, her name is Mrs. Bondietti. This was in Fresno, California. She was tough and she was smart. And yeah, I, 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 my family was moving from one side of Fresno to the other. By the way, Fresno is in California, but it's like the least glamorous. It's like what everybody makes fun of, but I didn't know that. Um, so we were moving and I think my life in fourth grade was, you know, um, we now had seven kids. I was the third of seven kids doing a lot of babysitting and so on. So to have that teacher affirm me was a really big deal. And so what I write and what you're referring to, Simon, is when I need a very powerful celebration, when I need to feel a very strong positive emotion, I pull out this technique where I think of Mrs. Bondietti walking up to me, probably putting her hand on my shoulder saying, you did a good job. Yeah. And that's really powerful for me. Yeah. Um, and so I save that celebration or that technique for times when I really need to wire things in quickly because I'm afraid it will lose its power if I use it all the time. Right. I have dozens of ways I can self-reinforce. I have dozens of ways of helping myself feel successful, but that's one of the most powerful ones. So I thought of, of how that could apply to other people. And I think if people think of someone they wanted approval from, particularly obviously in childhood, yeah. for many people, that would be a parent. So perhaps if they channeled the parent that they wanted or both parents that they wanted the approval of, that could be, you know, imagining them saying, well done, that could be a really good way of reinforcing it. Yeah. And, and it just depends on the strength of your imagination. If you're good at imagining that and feeling it. And then what I found is that tuning into that feeling where it is in your body and what it feels like then you can generate that in and of itself. Now, most people can't mm -hmm. do that. But what you're describing, Simon, I think is a perfect way to help people start practicing the skill of feeling what I call shine. Shine is the name that I've given to that feeling of success. So imagine your dad or your mom praising you for something. Imagine that vividly and pay attention to what's going on in your body and what that feels like. And that's yeah. the thing that will cause your brain to take notice. So when you use it on demand later, whether it's for taking fish oil and vitamins or reading a paragraph in the book, it's that emotion that causes your brain to take notice and cause that behavior to become more automatic in your life. And that behavior that you've just described, it's a skill. So it's something, you know, with practice, you will get better at. So I just want to talk to you now a little bit about bad habits. I, I mentioned uh, smartphone uses, for example, earlier, but I actually wanted to start with some other habits that I'm a bit interested in. So for example, some people maybe have a habit of getting angry or a habit of moaning about what a rough card they've been dealt with by life, even though actually, relatively speaking, they haven't, right? So in cases like that, is there some kind of 
pleasure that they're getting from that that's helping to reinforce the habit in, yeah. in, in cases like that? The short answer is yes. It wouldn't be a habit if it didn't serve some purpose, either a feeling helping them feel successful or alleviating some anxiety. So my partner, um, so we, we have a dog right now that we've had for 15 years and she's a sweetie, but she's gone deaf. And so she can't hear us at all, but she's still the same little sweet dog and follows him around everywhere. And even after months of her being deaf, he will still like say, Melly, you know, don't stand behind me. And I'm like, she can't hear you. But his saying that helps him alleviate the stress of him tripping over her. Frankly, it's that he's afraid of tripping over her and he's feeling that stress. But by getting after her, I think, I guess it alleviates that stress. And so that habit is wired in, even though I'm the only one that can hear it and then Millie cannot hear it. But yeah, when you look at any, whether it's we consider a good habit or a bad habit, there was an emotion that wired it in. You don't have to feel it every time. That emotion wires it in. And once it becomes a habit, then you don't have to feel that anymore. But for many of these behaviors that we consider bad habits, it is helping us reduce some negative feeling or some negative situation. Smoking, mm. drinking, turning to the phone in moments of boredom and on and on and on. Those are serving an emotional purpose and they wired into our lives. Not that we are weaker, that we you know, are flawed. It's how it works. If you do something and it alleviates an anxiety, you're more likely to do that again in the future. In the future. So notice it is a net gain in positive emotion. It's the emotion going from quite negative to less negative or maybe becoming neutral. And if you can cause that to happen by pulling out a phone or pouring a drink or lighting up a cigarette, your brain's going to recognize that and then prompt you to do those things when it needs to alleviate that negative emotion. Even something that may not be very logical, like scolding a little dog that can't hear you at all. But there's a reason that's wired in as a habit and doesn't go away. It helps him deal with that frustration. It's not even frustration. It's fear of tripping over her because she'll stand right behind him. So once I understand that, then I'm a little more tolerant or compassionate to my partner when he, I'm the only one that can hear her. And I'm like, okay, that's just human nature. That's just how things, yeah, yeah. that's how he's dealing with this. And that's okay. Yeah. Another, just more a comment than a question, really. Another habit I think that perhaps is underestimated is a habit to overthink. And I think oh, wow. overthinking is, gives a, an illusion of control, which is a reward in itself. Just quickly, yeah. uh, before we get on to some other more, yeah. more obvious ones. And, and, and let me go quickly. I know a lot of people are like, well, how do I untangle these unwanted habits? I've written a whole chapter on that. There's uh, a three phase to, to the heart. Some habits are really easy to stop people. Not all habits are hard to break, but some are. are. There's a three phase process to that. Um, but in the case of overthinking, I mean, you do it, I do it, probably lots of people. What I do is after I feel like I am overthinking, I will say to myself, just take the next step, BJ. I will literally say that out loud. Just take the next step. In other words, do an action. And stop thinking and overthinking. Just take the next step. That is, and that's really helpful for me. Uh, yeah. Reminding myself to take the next step and then actually doing it. 
Yeah, that's a great bit of advice. So let's just pick one quote unquote bad habit without generalizing. And it brings it back to what we were talking about at the start. That is smartphone use. So I was speaking to Cal Newport recently, and he talks about the obsession is about the content of, for example, social media. But actually, the reason people are unhappy is is not really necessarily the content, even though in his words, most of it is garbage. But because they're spending four hours scrolling instead of doing something meaningful, like connecting with a partner or doing that connection thing that you were talking about. So in the case of someone who is feeling like that social media and smartphone usage is out of control, how would you encourage them to begin to untangle that habit? Yeah, well, I'll I'll give two approaches. One's dramatic approach, which is remove the app or cancel your account. Make it so hard to get back into it. Now, most people won't go for that, but that is an option, everybody. Or you make your password terribly hard and you don't (laughs) save it. Most people aren't going to do that, but yes, that is an option. I mean, that's an option for unhealthy snacks. Don't bring him into the house. I mean, last night, my partner and I were watching a movie that of a book he had read. And so he's loving this movie. And he's like, I'd really like some ice cream right now. Well, guess what? 10 years ago, we banned ice cream from our home because we knew if it were available to us, we would be eating it a lot. And so, you know, banning ice cream from the home is a lot like saying, I'm canceling my account. Most people aren't going to do that. So what, what, and this is part of the system and I'll be pretty fast list, make a list of all the times during the day when you use social media in a way that you'd rather not. And the times at night, you probably have seven, 15, maybe 20 times, make a list of those things. Each one of those is a different habit together. We call that smartphone use or maybe smartphone addiction or whatever. Um, but notice that each one of those, you getting up or someone getting up in the middle of the night to scroll through Instagram, that's a different habit than eating breakfast and doing TikTok. Okay. Those are because it's different contexts and so on. So make a list, then pick the easiest one to tackle and tackle that one. And first, just try not doing it. I'll, I'll give an example. I, I got up last night. It was probably two or something like that. There's been an arsonist in the area who's gone around lighting fires, so I'm not sleeping that great. But I got up at two and I wasn't, and yeah, I could have pulled out my mobile phone, and but no, I just sat there in the dark. So it wasn't like I had to replace the mobile phone. It's just don't do it. So if you can, just don't do the behavior. Don't eat the ice cream. You don't have to eat something else. If you find that just not doing it doesn't work, then find something to swap in for that. So like, let's say last night, if I got up and sitting in the dark thinking, and hopefully not worrying too much about the arsonist, just thinking what I ended up doing, I just sat there and thought for 20, 30 minutes, which is for me, great, actually. Then find um, something you can replace it with. Um, and in this case, it might've been reading, it might've been playing my flute, uh, or so on. I know that sounds crazy in the middle of the night, but my partner's fine with it. I had this really calming flute that I like <laughs> to play. And that's how to tackle it. So there's a systematic approach to it. There's more details, like step by step, I walk people through it. But I think the key thing to recognize is smartphone use is a general habit. You need to break it down and go to the specific ones and to pick the easiest one to tackle. It might be Instagram at 3 a.m., tackle that one 
and then go to the next easiest one. And that might be doing TikTok while you're eating lunch. And so you start untangling it just like you untangle uh, the little snarls in your headset. You don't do it all at once. You don't do the hardest one first. You pick the easiest one, and you untangle that, and you go to the next one. It's a process. And that should give people hope that even though you don't know how to untangle your entire headset at once, you know if you start with the easiest one and get rid of that and go forward, you will get there. The same thing with these unwanted habits. Oh, that's fascinating. So yes, when building a habit, have that low baseline. When untangling a habit, also have that low baseline. And in the yeah. case of mobile phone usage, instead of seeing it as this one big block, no, split it into all these different moments when you yes. are, are habitually identify them and go for the easiest one. Yeah, but you know, the, the hardest step there is just to get out a piece of paper and face the reality of what are all the times I use my mobile phone maybe not in the most productive way because that's yeah. kind of like you know facing the truth moment but you know get it out make a list add to the list but then pick the easiest one and people are usually very surprised how easy it is to get rid of that tangle and then you go to the next one and it's like oh that one wasn't so hard either and you go to the next one and maybe you don't get rid of all of them that's okay you know maybe maybe you end up having three or four moments during your day where you are on social, but it's not the same kind of um, life, what shall I say, life-sucking habit as us being on social media and being influenced by that just at so many moments of our life. Yeah. You mentioned the power of environment, and this is something I'm very aware of. When I used to go into the office at the BBC, people would bring in cakes, sweets, chocolates, <laughs> you name it, right? Yeah. Particularly on a Friday, right? And Friday, I'm yeah. tired, so my willpower is on the floor. And I'm a glutton when my willpower is on the floor. So I'd be up there. I'm talking handfuls of the stuff, yeah. like, you know, feeling shame. Like I'm not only am I polluting myself with sugar, but I'm nicking more than my fair share, blah, blah, blah. So just like you with banning the ice cream, it's like, no, just keep it out of the house. The power of the environment is yeah. just fundamental. Well, we have a lot of control over our households. We have less control over our work environment. However, uh, I did a behavior change program for all the employees of Kaiser Permanente, which is a healthcare system in the U.S. with 13 million, employ 13 million members. So I helped their employees change for the better. What I found in doing that project in the research is when a teammate came and said, hey, let's create a policy not, it wasn't about the Friday food. It was like, let's create a policy not to bring in no cakes and leftover goodies on Mondays from the weekend that her teammates or his teammates were like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking of the same thing. Let's do it. So sometimes just approaching your teammates and go, you know what, this donut thing on Friday really isn't working for me. How about if we don't do this for a while? Or how about if we just, and if they don't go for it, how about if we just don't do it one week, right? And get them to take a baby step. So um, actively designing your environment. Yes, we can do it at home pretty readily, not entirely. Um, but within our workplace, have the conversation with your peers. And this is where I'm going with this point is you may be pleasantly surprised how many other people were thinking exactly the same thing, but they just didn't know how to bring up the topic. 
Yeah, great advice. Right, last couple of things, BJ. In terms of some of the other people who talk about habits, there's one that I've heard about, about cornerstone habits. You know, these, these habits that invariably ripple out. In terms of habits that do tend to multiply into all sorts of different directions, what's your take on this and which ones would you identify as being the ones to go to? From the earliest time of teaching the free five-day program in Tiny Habits in 2011, I talked about how your identity will shift. And so rather than think about cornerstone habits per se, I, I think of it in terms of what habits are aligned with an identity that you really care about. Okay, so I care about being a good teacher. So I have habits of dealing with my researchers and um, my Stanford students. I care about being a good brother. So I have habits of connecting and so on. So I, I really, and those kinds of habits will not only wire in quickly, but will propagate related habits. Um, so let's say, for example, uh, I call my parents every day as a habit. Um, and then, so that then leads to me uh, connecting more with them uh, on the weekends in, in a longer way. It might lead to like Zoom calls, written cards, and so on. It might lead to me connecting with my siblings more than I would have. Um, so change leads to change. And if you have changed in a way that's important to you and your identity, then that will lead to other related kinds of changes. That could be, I'm the kind of person who eats healthy snacks. It could be, I'm the kind of um, person who's very productive. Now that can get out of control. I think most of us are trying to be way too productive right now. Um, The one I'm working on right now, Simon, is habits of leisure, habits of taking breaks. That's hard because I love my work and I feel like I have so much to do. But I am once a week, I look at my schedule and I put on my calendar, it's like a yellow bar and I write break and I just put it throughout my calendar. And so I do that once a week so people can't schedule into those breaks. And that also leads to me taking other breaks during the day and I'm working. It's hard because that conflicts with my other identity is that I'm very productive. Okay. So I'm the kind of person who takes leisure. Versus, so we really, in many ways are, we have multiple identities and we're trying to reconcile those kinds of things. And I just surface that because I am trying more and more to have leisure, uh, to have mm. self-care, to have time off. So I live, you know, I go to the river every day and sit, I actually sit in the river and I read, I read useful books while I'm sitting in the river, which is this weird mix of I'm productive yet I'm taking leisure. So that's an area of my life that I'm working on and it's getting better, but it is just not a done deal. It's a work in progress for me to be a man of leisure. (laughs) I'd say it's a worthy pursuit and it's one I think a lot of people like you say could really benefit from actually prioritizing much higher quick question for you well okay two very last questions that I promise one's a real short one and then one slightly longer another habit formula I've heard is the Q routine reward one how does that fit in with your formula yeah that idea is a very old notion it was long before Charles Duhigg drew it into a circle Um, There's a book um, 
called Social Learning and Imitation by two researchers named Miller and Dollard in the 1940s that essentially described that. I don't think it's a loop, actually. Duhigg made it into a loop. I don't think it's a loop. It's a sequence. Okay, so that's a whole different topic. So no, in my book, I don't talk about the habit loop. I don't think it's a loop. Um, or if it is, it's a strange loop. It's not how they, they describe it. But those concepts are not new. But, in, but those concepts are in tiny habits. Um, so you have the thing that prompts you to do the behavior, the cue. We call it, and so you find a routine. You have the habit or the behavior that you do. And then you have the celebration, um, which is called reward in other contexts. I don't call it reward because people confuse that word with other things. So it's rather than talk about a reward, I talk about it as the emotion, cause the emotion to fire off through a celebration. So that is the pattern there. Um, but that's a, that's, it's a good question. Not really a short, easy one, but I'll stop there for now. So my last question to you, BJ, is how many habits, positive ones, do you think you have in, in your fertile garden that you've been, you know, yeah. uh, gradually and, and lovingly tender, um, cultivating over many years? How many habits do you think you've managed to implement into your da own daily, life? Oh, daily, just daily, I would probably say 80, 80. And I, I know that makes me sound like a robot or an automaton. But the way I see it is the more things that I have habits, like shaving. So I just decided two days ago that I'm just going to shave with a razor because I would switch off between an electric one and a blade. So every day I would decide, is which one am I doing? No, now it's just going to be blade. So there's one less decision that frees me up to either improvise or be spontaneous or be thoughtful in other yeah. ways and i'll i'll be frank two things this morning while i was shaving i brought in oh this is kind of sad um i brought my ipad into the bathroom while i was shaving i'd done this before and i liked it and i wanted to listen to a friend of mine uh, a boyhood friend from mrs bondietti's class he was in my fourth grade class he's dying of cancer oh, and I'm he was giving his last like sermon and sharing his wisdom so as I was sitting there shaving mindlessly, I could listen to what my friend Jeff was saying and connect with the wisdom he was sharing now that he is dying very soon. And so even though that's kind of a sad example, it shows that there are things we just want to automate in our lives. So then we can focus and think about things that really matter. And, and, and the shaving example, I, I guess, is a pretty good one, even though it's sad in some ways. But it does show that I was, rather than thinking about how am I shaving, I could be listening to Jeff and um, really yeah. benefiting from his wisdom. That is a sad but also beautiful uh, story. So I, I very much appreciate you sharing that. And, and I really relate to what you're saying in terms of the more we can get these uh, habits in place, positive ones in particular, then we free up bandwidth to do what's important to yeah. us, just as you have yeah. done there. And, and oh. Simon, on a, on a more positive note, I mean, it's like help yourself feel successful. One of the, so I have, I have a, you know, one way I get things done is I write things on little stickers. Um, and there was a, t I'll just fast forward through all the details. What I am doing now is after I achieve one of the tasks, I put the sticker right here on the wall. And so you can see <laughs> Look today, at all those I've stickers. All, 
I've done all of these things today. So it's sort of like a success zone. That's a great so idea. Today, and then I clear it off in the morning and I start again. So there are that little is... tiny adjustments we can make to our lives to help ourselves do these habits and wire them in. And that was an adjustment I made rather than just throw the stickers away. It's like, oh, let's document how productive I've been today. Now this is working against maybe the man of leisure, except for one of those over there is probably go water to the garden, which I consider leisure. So boom, you know, got that done kind of thing. I absolutely love that idea. I think I'm going to nick that one, BJ. So I'm going to, I'm going to send you a photo of, okay. of my wall with a with a load of stickers on Your at some point in the wall. future but uh it's like a victory wall vic- you know like all things the vi- yes. <laughs> yeah man i lo- i think that's such a good idea anyway and you've been chock full of brilliant ideas brilliant wisdom really practical stuff it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you bj it's just been a joy thank on my you. part so thank you so much for coming on life lessons from sport and beyond you've been a, a real joy you really have thank you so much Simon. Thanks very much for listening to this week's episode about habits with Professor BJ Fogg. First of all, he was just a really nice guy to talk to. And secondly, since we spoke, I've started to add a few more little habits into my life, as well as unravel some of those I want to dispense with using his tiny habits method, which goes a little bit like this in summary. Pick a habit you want to bring in, make it so small as to be super easy to achieve. So think two push-ups after visiting the bathroom like BJ. Do not ever raise that low baseline. But if you want to do more, more than two push-ups, for example, at any time you can, find a good prompt. So when brushing your teeth, boiling the kettle, whatever, and then create that feeling of success after doing the habit to wire it in. For example, by giving yourself a metaphoric pat on the back or saying well done or a little fist bump, whatever works for you. And remember, The more helpful habits you can begin to seed in your life, the more bandwidth you will have left over for the things which truly matter to you. Let me know your thoughts or any questions you have at Simon Mundy on social media. Head to my website, simonmundy.com to sign up for this week's newsletter, focusing on a simple way of being more present and an equation for happiness. And if you could rate and review the show, it would make a real difference. Anyway, that's it for this week. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.